Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to Master Your Mindset Podcast. Today we've got a special guest, uh, Lance Glasso, the pitching coach at the University of Washington for the women's softball team, uh, by far one of the best teams in the nation. Um, Lance, is, Lance has been there since 2008 off and on. He took a quick stint and went and coached at PLU for a couple of years as a head coach there, um, but he's been back at UW for a few years now and um, leading, leading one of the best teams in the nation. I said, and Lance, I remember playing against you, your coach that summer. I was at Pialp High School having some battles there. And it's been fun seeing what you guys have done up there on Montlake. I mean, one of the best programs in the whole country. So I'm really excited to learn about what you guys are doing to coach the mental game and just to how you, how you've been responding to COVID. Let's talk about last spring. You're like a third way in your season. Like, no, this is, this is canceled. Yeah, it was, it was pretty unique. We we kind of felt it coming a little bit, and it kind of hit us pretty hard in the face when it did happen, even though we kind of had a, had a had a feeling. We were scheduled to play the U.S. national team. They were on their uh, Olympic pre-tour, uh, and Coach Tar and myself have worked with the Olympic team a little, or the national team a little bit prior, so we were excited to see some, some players we hadn't seen since the summer, and uh, they came up for a couple days early, and they came and uh, – Heck, heck, I think it was a Wednesday, maybe they came and worked out and wanted to get a practice in and it was after ours. So we got to see him coming into the our indoor facility and talk to the coach and uh, things were kind of moving along. And then by heck, that might have been six o'clock. And I think by eight o'clock that night, the game was canceled the next day. They decided with kind of some of the COVID things that were happening there in the middle, beginning of March, it was their best interest not to continue with their tour. So they kind of like jammed out of town and heck at 24 hours later I think we were the NCAA canceled our season or at least put it on hold at that point uh and then from then the Ivies canceled and you know Big Ten canceled and so as things the dominoes kind of started falling uh our season got canceled and uh as it happened even in the postponement we you know had a team meeting we spend a lot of time as a group kind of making sure our players are aware of the, the most recent information we have I just remember sitting in our boardroom and uh, our senior women's administrator came in and kind of gave the official version of the whole thing and to the players and they were kind of, they weren't sure what to do. Should they go home? School was going online. All these things kind of happened real, relatively quickly. And one of my roles on the team at times is kind of the dad. I, you know, I'm the only one that has kids and has kind of been through some of dealing with those types of things, I guess. Not that Coach Tar and JT and Witt can't do a great job with those as well. And, I just stood up and I said, listen, if I'm your dad, I'd say, pack your crap, go home, be with your family, put yourself in a safe situation. The softball season will figure itself out. Uh, and if it doesn't, we'll figure it out in June. And But priority is get home where you feel safe if you have to get quarantined or whatever. And so it, it happened really fast for us. Even though you kind of felt it, we didn't think it would happen that fast. So it was a pretty uh, unique time for our team. 
and there was a lot of nervousness from them, especially our seniors, you know, where I, I think we were 19 and three or 21 and three, you know, whatever we were and been to the world series three years in a row. And we had, you know, a pitcher back that could get us there again. And we had a couple of all Americans back. So we were pretty excited about the opportunity our team was going to have during the season. And I think those are the things that took the longest to kind of work through with that group. Well, and there's a lot of uh, student athletes that listen to this podcast. And I mean, what advice would you give them and coaches, you know, during this kind of time of uncertainty? It sounds like your season is going to, the, the track record and the schedule of practicing and competing in, in uh, January practice and start competing next year. It seems like it's on track, but what advice would you give kids right now? Like, man, I, I can't, I can't actually practice right, right, right now. I can't play. Yeah. I, well, I think those are two different things, Colin. I think that's the hard part for youth players in today's uh, sport world is they don't get to play. And I think over the last 20 years or know, maybe 30 years, the ratio to practice to play has kind of skewed itself so far to more play than practice that this really is a different time for these kids where in the early 80s when I was a competitor, I played 16 baseball games a year at the 14 or 16U level at Pelt Fairgrounds and Callis Junior High. Like that's all we had. And we played, you know, 15 to 25 summer basketball games. And we played one high school football season. We didn't have passing league and we didn't have flag football and we didn't have those things. So that's kind of all we did was practice. And it might not even been formalized practice. And I think the, the culture that's hard right now for our student athletes, and, and we realize it, is that the environments that they've grown up in are not around anymore. It, they can't go with their team to a multi-age level practice where the 14s are there and the 16s are there and it's 60 people practicing. So I think it's really challenging our athletes to uh, look at how can they personalize their own development. And the college players are having to do it now as well. And, and it's a challenge for sure for them. But our mantra has just been, we don't know what's going to happen. We, it's kind of like you're a senior, right? And like the, the poor senior that gets hurt and like they lose their senior season and it's their last hurrah. And then the next year you use it as a story and like train today because it may be your last day ever. That's kind of where, where, how we framed it is, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We sit on meetings and come up with all these hypothetical scenarios and solutions, but ultimately you have to choose what you want to do today to set yourself up for tomorrow. And that's kind of how we've structured all of our training throughout the fall and, and basically since last March. That's, that's interesting. And, and once you say um, when you're, when you're uh, coaching college softball, it's all about what players you're able to get to come to your program to recruit. That's I think a lot of parents and kids don't realize as a coach, you, that's part of your job too. Yeah. To, to recruit on the road. So what type of traits are you trying to uh, find? So parents listen to this, kids listen to this. I, I, first off, as a top program in the country, we know the skill set is going to be there. Does that make sense? So our sport's a little bit unique in that I, I'll just, I use the football example because I think people can relate to football more than uh, baseball. Like football and collegiate football is like the stepping stone to the professional football where baseball, it could be the draft or whatever it may be. So comparing it to football, there may not be uh, 250 five-star recruits in the country in softball. There may be 25 to 50 
players that every team in the country would needs them in their program skill set wise. So really the, the skill piece of it, we know what we want and we want the same thing that UCLA wants and the same thing that Florida wants and the same thing that Alabama wants. So the skill set is kind of like, you got to be there, wherever there is. And it's not a five, it could be a four, it could be a three star or whatever. So like we would think of it as tools. Like what is their arm strength? What is their, can they hit for power? Can they hit for average? What's their defense look like? And can they run a little bit, right? So we know we're going to get players that have three of five high level tools. So that's kind of the given. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But really what we look for is players that want to be coached and players that are durable. Because in, in our season, we play 56 games over three months and we practice 132 times in a season. So durability ultimately becomes a big indicator of our ability to be successful. And whether that's mental durability or physical durability, uh, emotional durability, uh, those are things that we that we really look for is players that we know that are going to play a, a sport that is humbling and can they recover as fast as a game needs them to recover. That's it. And then coaching the team, team USA national team, coaching a national championship uh, in 2009, um, beyond talent, what, again, traits of the players that, you're, that you've coached, you've seen besides being a, a five uh, tool performer, speed, um, hit for power, hit for average, p- play defense, you know, um, besides being durable and being coachable, like, is it um, resilience? Is it this like inner confidence? Is it, you know, I'd be curious if you can think of a different story or a different. Um, yeah, know. I think, I think it's shared goals or, or shared beliefs is, is the big part. So in our program, we've kind of talked about, teams and like teams as being a year and like what did this team look like and what did this team look like and if you go back and look like statistically they're all the same like there's no real outliers that oh this year we hit 142 home runs and that's why we were there and so it's it's probably we would look at it as teams that have trust in each other and trust in the direction the program's going or the coaching staff or the game plan or however you would want to say it and the 09 team trusted each other very well. Like that was their strong suit looking back on it. It was a high trust team that they believed in uh, where they were were going and they believed how they were gonna get there. And the people that were in positions of leadership, whether they were, we don't have captains, so it's not like our captains, but the players that kind of set the course for the team were high trust players that everybody, you know, all 19 of the roster could trust those people. So that, that was our team culture that year, I think was, it was just a high trust team. So how do you uh, train trust as a, as a coach? Uh, well, you identify behaviors. And so that's, that's a big part for us is, you know, we have some core beliefs and, uh, some things that like words that we use, but really we spend a lot of time with our team turning those words into behaviors. So if Colin Henderson comes to practice, what is he going to see from a UW softball player? What behaviors would they see? And, and ours are, we use the acronym SACS. We're selfless, we're accountable, we're tough. Uh, 
we're confident and then we have husky fever which is kind of probably what we're most known for is our husky fever our juice that we bring to a game but that's great uh, that's that's so how, how'd you come, how'd you come up with that i, I like that came I like, up I like with the stats part the team came up with the core beliefs so the that's 08, great oh nine oh ten team kind of came up with what those core covenants were going to be for our program and uh and then JT kind of always calls it SATs. We call it core beliefs and he just says SATs and then we don't know what they are. <laughs> That's awesome. But every year we spend time with the team redefining what those behaviors look like. And we talk about what they look like in practice, what they look like in the classroom, what do they look like in our community, and then what do they look like in games. And That's so it. the trust comes from players saying doing what they say they're going to do whether that's going to class on time or not missing tutor appointments or picking up the freshman from the dorm or uh getting a sacrifice bunt down or giving their you know working hard at practice or the, like whatever it is it's are you doing what you say you're going to do and, and from the coaching staff as well right like do we deliver on what we say we're going to do i love that and, I, and you're talking about clarity, you're talking about culture, and you're getting buy-in. People support what they help build. So at least the, the the player group came up with some of these ideals and these behaviors. And I love that you're talking about behaviors. Behaviors precede success. Yeah. And if you have that that clear roadmap and these these guiding principles that we're going to structure how we practice, how we train, and and culture is not words on the on the wall or words on the website. It's it's words and action. So I love how you said that words turn into be behaviors. It's T money. Yeah. You have anything you want to, you want to ask? Um, I think uh, one thing that I know you guys as your program um, had worked away, had worked with Ken Revisa um, and before he passed away, um, what's like a couple key takeaways that you, you learned or that like, you know, that the program focused on from him, like, in in their approach yeah I, I think that the two great question uh we were UW worked with them I think all the way back to the 90s I think one of the first adopt not adopters but first teams that really worked with them and, and we were we paid you know we brought him up every year in the fall and we'd go every year we played in a tournament Fullerton and we got to see him in Fullerton as well so uh we were pretty uh, active with Ken and I think the things that like still stick to our program that uh we make sure that all 24 of our roster players this year understand is, is probably two things. One is awareness of your emotional state. So we use the traffic light a lot. And then, this, and then we lead that into how does your routine dictate where you're at in your traffic lights? Like what is a behavior I may see when you're feeling a little yellow light, like, man, things aren't going the way they're going. I want them to go. Uh, we know what the red light behaviors look like, and it's usually removal from the game. Like we have to take you out of a situation when you're in a red light situation. You can't control yeah. your emotional state and and craps. And, and, and Lance, what if we just pause and then educate the, the listeners on Ken's system, you know, knowing your, your traffic lights. So so green means go, you're confident, you're in rhythm, you're feeling like yeah. you're in your flow. You're locked in and yellow is like caution. You're noticing your nerves starting to elevate, maybe getting fresher, maybe not feeling as calm as you want. And red, I just call hot mess. Like you're, yep. you're in your internal state, you've lost it. Elevated heart rate, you're, you're, not, you're not focused. So, yep. keep, so, so keep going. Yep, so we use those and then we work routine a lot. So we even go so far as to videotape players' routines uh, in and out of the batter's box, 
Uh, we like Colin. I I don't know. If we spoke of this pre-cast, but we used a lot with pitching. Like pitching is kind of this mental game you're playing the whole time with yourself. And is it with yourself, or is it with the batter? Is it with the umpire? Is it with the situation? Like what? Who are you playing this mental game with? And so we use a lot with pitchers. Where we'll, we'll videotape uh, them between pitches. Uh, what does let? And I'll just give you an example of this. So. Ken Revisa also got a chance to work with Daniel Laurie in 2008 with the Canadian national team. So the Canadian national team used him as well. And she it really helped her personal development to like work on some process. She was a non-breather. So like in watching game film, Ken, and this was before I got to University of Washington, but Ken realized she stopped, would stop breathing in high tense situations. So they worked on breath and some of these things and some routine things that she can do. And when I, I got a chance to work with him in 09 when I got there. He commented that uh, in her pitching motion, she does some things with her feet. She gets set on the pitching rubber. And when she her left foot would hit the ground, it was an indicator of her like state, like where she was at. And if she was soft onto her left foot, she was kind of in this green. I'm rolling it. Things are good. And when she starts slamming this left heel into the ground, it's the pissed off pony. You know, like she's, she's feeling a little yellow. She's feeling like the umpire didn't give her a call, hit her, hit a good pitch. Uh, and so like one little cue was something that I could focus on in the dugout where, uh, okay, it's, it's starting. Let's see if she can uh, get herself back in green or, you know, I'd signal a catcher to go out and talk to her. Or we had a great second baseman, Ashley Charters, who kind of was the, uh, the thermostat on the team or thermometer on the team, excuse me, thermometer more than thermostat, but a thermometer. And she just she she picked up on it as well, and so then she would know when to go to the pitching circle and be like, Danielle, we got gotcha. you. Like, it's okay. Take a walk. And and I think the other thing is that we I used a lot with from Ken is he he basically says don't crap where you eat, right? So like as a pitcher, if you're gonna have an emotional catharsis, like don't do it on the pitching rubber. Like use some distance to get away. So we use distance as a as a traffic light indicator so for us if you're green you're kind of around the pitching rubber and you're getting the ball and you're getting back on the pitching rubber and you're in rhythm and when you're yellow it's like nope I gotta take a little longer trip I gotta get a better breath in I have to do what I need to do and if you're getting red you better leave the circle and like take some time out so we use distance as a way to kind of and we use it in the batter's box as well that's it and I like when you oh go ahead sorry no, I just gonna humans naturally do it in our sport and like the dugout. Like where are you at in the dugout? Like and you're in red, you see it in major league baseball all the time, right? Guys in a, a bad call by the umpire, somebody robbed his home run, he threw a ball away, whatever. He's down by the water cooler, like pouting or doing like having his time to like, I don't need to bring this energy to the team. I need this energy to be someplace away where I can deal with it and get myself to an emotional state where I can come back and, and be with the team. And so, you know, well, I, I love that as a program, you see the importance of the mental game, that you can train your body, you can train your skills as a softball player, but you can also train your mind. So you have some language and some structures, this common language that you're using to evaluate state, you know, awareness, your habits, routines, breath, uh, self-talk, that type of stuff. That's really cool. Um, and I love what, what Ken used to say. Uh, he passed away about two years ago, but are you so bad that you need your A game to win? Yeah. It's like give one hundred percent of what you got. If it's only seventy percent, give one hundred percent of that of that to, to to win that moment. I love that. But uh, he he left a huge legacy, so it's awesome that you got to see him in action. Um, yep. And I also think about like the best performers, like the softball, baseball. 
who, who continue to move up in their career is they're able to focus on that, on that matchup where it's just pitcher, hitter, hitter, pitcher, where I think people who struggle is, well, the coach is thinking this, the, my parents are in the stands, this is being filmed. I'm going to have to evaluate it. You know, will I be first team all this? Will I get batting average? So the word we use T money is quiet the noise. Do you have routines to quiet the noise? So as a, as a coach, a pitching coach dealing with, with, with kids and, and teams and, you know, how do you stay calm and, and quiet? You know, a lot of this stuff is for players, but as coaches, you know, what, what tools do you use? I think ultimately uh, we kind of all use the same as a program. And then the coach, it manifests different in the coaching staff, if that makes sense. But I'm kind of, I would probably latch on to one of our, mon- not a mantra, but one of the things we believe is like being where your feet are. And so like when I'm in the mouth of the dugout and I'm helping call some pitches or, or talking through some scouting reports or like whatever I'm in in-game or even a practice mode is my challenge for me is can I stay there? Can I be in that moment and not be distracted by umpires and the scoreboard and uh, some of those things? So being where my feet are is, is a challenge for me and, and I have to uh, continually uh, work on it, whether it's in practice or, you know, a Zoom call or whatever it may be, you know, like for the podcast today, my phone's in the other room. Like I'm, there's also a, our national coaching conventions going on and I could kind of follow along and I could, but no, I need to be here with Colin and Tanner today kind of thing. So we do a lot of, uh, as, as a staff, like those types of things. In the dugout, it manifests that we're kind of a, a talkative coaching staff. Uh, we've been together since 09. And so we get a lot of elbow pokes and what do we think about this? And what do you think about that? And so it helps all of us kind of stay in the moment because we're engaging one another. We're not a a staff that one coach is at one end of the dugout and one coach is in the middle of the dugout. When we're coaching, we're, you know, kind of collective decision, not really collective decision making, but input's important for us. I said, I'm curious of what shaped you to, to want to coach. How'd you get into this? I had really good coaches growing up. So Colin, in fifth grade, I had Mariel Hill was my fifth grade teacher. No, fourth grade. I was in a four or five split. And then fifth grade, I had her again. And then I knew I wanted to be a teacher. Like that was number one. I knew I wanted to be a teacher. And then I got a chance to experience some really good uh, coaches. So Dan Thurston uh, at Alan, Ron Kitts, uh, Tom Spanny was really good. Seventh grade basketball coach, but probably the first basketball coach that held me accountable. It wasn't a dad kind of thing. Uh, and then I got to the high school and I got to see different coaching styles. Uh, Coach Iverson was uh, like the dad, like pretty accountable and those things. And then Coach Heward was, here's how you played the game. Like, here's the mindset you need to be in a game. But hell, I never had a conversation with Coach Heward until I graduated and I was 20. Like, he did, like he wasn't a, you know, buddy, buddy. He like coached football and okay, I can live in that environment. And then uh, I went to college and I saw some, some good coaching in college and some different coaching in college. And so I knew I wanted to be an educator and I enjoyed sport. And so from educator, I'm like, okay, I want to coach. And I got a chance when I was uh, in my junior and senior year at Western, I got a chance to work with Gary Hatch. And that's a name, Colin, that you would look into and maybe speak with a little bit. Longtime coach at Seaholm High School. Kind of one of the, he's a hall of famer in our state. program guy that I learned that everything matters from coach Hatch and, and like it helped me perf- 
in my professional growth, like it's not what you do, but how you do it and who you do it with kind of coach. And so I got a great experience with him for two years. Uh, and then when I started teaching, I, I just, I had some great opportunities. I coached football and I coached basketball and I coached baseball uh, for a couple of years. And I left the teaching profession. And when I came back, the AD coach, uh, Tim Thompson at Sumner is like, hey, I know you're a fast pitch guy. You play fast pitch. You got an opening at the high school. Would you be interested? And I had coached uh, girls basketball at Sumner Junior High. And I'd had a, my first time coaching a female athlete. I'd had a really good experience with it. Uh, a little bit different than a male athlete. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like a chance to coach a female athlete again. And so uh, in 2000, I guess it was, I got the opportunity to coach softball and uh, kind of been rock and rolling with it ever since. But I think I had great teachers and great mentors and coaches that I, uh, I knew I could, I could do it. You know what I mean? Like I had something I want to do. Yeah, and I love this kind of concept. But usually your favorite coach, you probably learn more about life than about sport. Yeah. And it's a unique opportunity to shape the lives of young people. And I think about young people, you have two daughters. How are you juggling coaching, traveling, homeschooling, virtual learning, uncertainty, COVID, you know? Yeah, well, thankfully, my girls are both out of school, uh, out of uh, high school. My oldest is doing some online work and, and working full-time. And then my youngest is actually 18. She graduated in the, uh, June. She's full-time working as well. Uh, and as an 18 and 20 year old, they're both kind of down the, uh, the managerial track. They're getting some, uh, more opportunities at their workplace. So that's been fun to kind of talk through them with that part of it is, okay, you figured out how to lead yourself in this environment, whether it's in a coffee stand or at a restaurant, you're leading yourself now. And now somebody says, okay, you can lead yourself. Can you lead some other people? What does that look like? And so they're kind of picking up on some of those coaching cues or, or interacting with other people when it's not, oh, what do I have to do today? But what do we have to get done today? So that's been pretty fun. It's been hard on them. Uh, when I traveled, uh, Tanner, to be a top five program in the country, you're gone a lot and you're recruiting a lot, Colin, like you talked about, and uh, you're preparing a lot and you're practicing a lot and you're practice planning a lot, but they've done a really good job. Kara uh, did a great job kind of holding the fort down when, when they were younger and uh, we just figured out a way to make it work and uh, they were a big part of it. You know, they got to, if we went to Oklahoma City, they got to go to Oklahoma City and, and enjoying the, the fruits of the labor and they got to be around some, some great young women uh, as they grew up to see some great role models. And, uh, and that's the main reason I went back into coaching uh, at the college level. I, I think Maddie must've been uh, probably eight, seven or eight. And so Macy was five and I had coached a little bit of college baseball. And I was like, I want to get back in the college game. I want my, and I want my daughters to be around people that they can emulate and, and see as successful workers and so that's kind of why I went back into coaching at the college level and I got a chance to coach PLU. And so then they got to see the PLU experience and then the UW opportunity opened up. So they're a big reason I, I got into college game. Well, it's crazy. I've, I, I see your, I've met your daughters, right? I see them. I guess how time flies that they're 18 and 20 now. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that is nuts. Um, but what I love about softball and baseball, it's such a great life teacher. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, the, the failure, the adversity, it's a sport where you have to compete on your own, but you're part of, of, of this team. So uh, su such great life life lessons in, in the sport. But I'm curious, you know, 
knowing what you know now, if you can coach your younger self, playing at Aylin, playing at Puyallup, you know, all the stuff you did, you know, after high school, you know, playing sports and stuff, what lessons would you tell yourself? It matters probably like realizing that the things, the behaviors that I had mattered. Like when I was a, a crap head in junior high, like that mattered, like that probably set me back in my own development. Uh, people matter that the relationships you have with people, whether they're on your team or in your class or whatever matter. I probably didn't do a very good job of uh, developing relationships, authentic relationships with enough people. Like I kind of got in the, the band of brothers environment and I had the girlfriend and like, that was my, my circle where I probably should have expanded my circle a little bit more. Uh, and, and sometimes that's like the bad thing of sport, right? Like, is it, you limit yourself in who your, your area of influence can be because who's on your team. And like, I'll use football as an example. Again, let's say that the receiver defensive back group, do they really know the offensive line group or, you know, like those types of things, like, do you really, go out of your way to uh, build relationships with bigger groups. And, and as a coach now, 51 years old, I, I realized that the time in the, the stretch line and the time on the bus and the time at the airport is probably the most important time I have as a coach to build relationships with players because in stressful situations, practice and games, practice is stressful. Uh, and I probably didn't realize that as much as I did when I was younger, especially when I was a student athlete, uh, that those times it's hard to people get out of their own self to like be in a place to develop a relationship, right? So that's probably my younger self, what I wish I would have done a better job of is extending my circle of uh, people that I could have uh, thoughtful, meaningful relationships with. Got it. And I got two more questions, T-Money. I want you to think about, you know, one more question to bring us home, but the, the question I was thinking about is coaching the athlete of, of this era, this time we're in with TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, Netflix, these like teams, all these club select teams, like you mentioned in the eighties, nineties, when we kind of grew up, you didn't have all these like select showcases and stuff. So to, to recruit, to mentor, to engage, to, to hang out and coach this student athlete has it has it changed i think it's changed in that the kids are the same i think the kids are the same but the avenue to connect with them might have changed a little bit right so was my cured successful because he was my cured or was my cured successful because he knew who he was and he was consistent in his behaviors like ultimately he's really consistent in his behaviors like that's probably the strength of the pell program back in those days so you knew what your behaviors were going to be, that it wasn't a chit chatty, we're going to get to know each other kind of thing. Well, maybe today through more interactions, authentic or inauthentic interactions, people need to feel a little bit more connected to the goal or the mission or the outcomes that we're looking for. So uh, I think today's athlete, you need to be willing to uh, connect with them on more than just a coach player relationship. So we spend a lot of, I spend a lot of time, uh, like I'll just use this example right now. We haven't seen a lot of our athletes since November 20th. We sent them home prior to Thanksgiving. Uh, so they've been home. So I call them and check in and what's going on. And I don't really care if they're pitching or if they're hitting or if they're throwing. I just care 
like what's going on with COVID in your region of the country and how's your family doing and those types of things. So I think today's athlete be a little bit, we are probably a little bit more diligent even over time that I've been there since 09 of making daily connections with people to check in to see where they are. So I think those are things that it's not a practice time relationship. It's a 365 day relationship with people where you're always kind of figuring out how you can uh, help them be their best self as often as you can. I think that's probably what's changed for me. Yeah. And I would agree if, if I'm working with someone, um, I, I want to know who they are as a human being, know their backstory, know their siblings, know what their dreams and goals are. I think just if you can get on that level, it's easier to, to, to go to battle. It's, it's yep. easier when something doesn't go right. You've built that trust where I know you as a human being, I can call you out in a way that you know that you're not going to feel threatened that I don't, I don't, I don't love you. You yep. know, I think that's super critical. T money. You got some, I'll, I'll, I got one more of yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, taking it back a little bit to the stoplight thing, Lance, with your, we'll just focus, like, on the pitchers. What do you tell um, your girls when they get in that yellow or that red? Like, what's, how do you help them get back to the green? Um, I think that's a big thing, like, for me in golf, when I start falling down a hit, falling down, maybe not playing so well, like, how do you get them back to that green? Well, so, so in pitching, one, it's, it's a routine. Can we get back to our routine? So that's kind of where it starts. And then we work a lot on, uh, like, we'll use the analogy. I say analogy. It's probably not analogy. But, like, we will talk about pitching as good, better, and best. And so, like, back to Ken Revisa, right, stoplights is can you be okay at 80%? Can you give 100% of your 80%? Well, can you throw a good pitch? Like you tried to throw your best and your best missed. So a golf analogy, you you tried to flop it when uh, your the good shot would have been to pitch it onto the green and let it roll and, and away it goes kind of thing. So we try and get back to what we know is our good and let's just play through our good here for a little while. And then when our good is kind of being consistent and you feel comfortable in your good, okay, let's throw your your better and your best pitch. Like let's take a little more risk because we're, so we just try and get back to good. and. That's a hard thing in sport is the situation dictates sometimes to athletes what they need to do when really they just need to be good. Like, just be you. Like, do you do you and you're in a situation because you is pretty darn good. Right. And and Tanner, your good in golf is better than my good in golf. So you're good. Yeah. Good. Right. Like, uh -huh. yeah, you need to be. Are you competing against Tiger Woods? Or are you competing against the golf course? Right. So, like, we come mm -hmm. back to it's a yellow ball throw the thing in a locate in an area and good things are going to happen. And the outcome you have, once it leaves your hand, that outcome's out of your control. So just control your process and have a mindset or a thought of, I'm just going to be good. Like good, good's good enough. If it wasn't, you wouldn't be in the situations you're in. Yeah. That's it. And, and T money, what, what does the word clutch mean? What is the definition of clutch? Doing what you normally do when it matters most. That's my boy right there. That's it. Doing <laughs> what you normally can do. But I like the language, good, better, best. And the last thought I want to talk about, Coach Lance, is this thought of um, the struggle I had as a performer, as a college uh, student athlete, high school student athlete, and even in like sales and even on my, my own company, Mastery Mindset, is getting worth tied to an, an, an outcome getting your, your worth and your value, how you perceive your happiness, joy is riding on this, this outcome. 
and especially as a coach, you probably have that because your job relies on if you don't win, if you don't produce, you don't have a job. So we want to perform and do well, but how do we kind of separate, like my worth is attached to this, uh, to this thing. So have you done that as a, as a parent, as a friend, as a colleague, as a, a coach? I think I've done it through um, looking at the behavior. Is the behavior fitting for their situation? And if the behavior fits the situation, I was successful. Like whether it's coaching, uh, young coach, probably back in the day when I coached against you, I probably didn't have con good control of my behavior, uh, my emotional state as a coach. And as I've gotten older, I've learned for myself, I'm in my best place when my behaviors are a little more consistent and on the face, the team needs me to be at, at certain times. And so, uh, you know, we talk a lot about process and result and, and you know, the difference of those and, and how do you stay in the process of your routine and, and the common goal and uh, those types of things. So for me, it's, can I, uh, can my behaviors be consistent and can they be, uh, can they fit the situation? And so that's kind of where I've, my process has kind of gone is I used to be, that used to be probably a strong word. I kind of still am. I'm kind of a sarcastic coach. And so I've, I've really learned that that's probably not a behavior that's, I can be consistently. And so because I'm not consistently sarcastic, players don't know when I'm funny and when I'm being a jerk. And uh, so that's something I've worked on is no, my behavior is probably not sarcastic. It's probably a little bit more, uh, trying to be a little bit more thoughtful in the words I use. And can I get a say, uh, 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 the result I want without using sarcasm. So like, that's an example I would use of, it's really about, can I be more consistent in my behaviors around in, in environments? I love it. That word behaviors keeps coming up. And coaches, uh, parents, business people, student athletes, students, you're hearing that behaviors precede success. There's no magic pill. No. So we I don't have magic purple dust. No, yeah. People so, think we do. Yeah. So no one lands on top of the mountain. It, it takes steps. It takes a daily routine, a daily process. So design beats willpower. So identify the top performers. What are their behaviors, habits? Maybe make a list of them. Make a daily routine, a weekly routine, a process, you know, when you're, when you're competing before a test, before practice. And I think making practice by yourself harder than practice with your teammates and practice with teammates harder than your, your game. If you can kind of do that sequence when it comes game time, like, yeah, I've been, I've been here before. So um, I'm going to piggyback. I promise this will be the last one. So talking about behaviors and, you know, process over outcome, what behaviors are you um, doing? To, to stay present, to work on your, uh, your mindset, you know? Um, so maybe like, is it mindfulness? Is it exercising? Is it journaling? Is it affirmations? Uh, I think it's contact. Like I have, for me to be in the moment, I need to work on communicating with other people. Uh, so I've really worked to take away distractions in environments where I, I don't need to be distracted. So uh, and that's a hard one for me. I, I get distracted by the phone, just like a 17 year old, or I get distracted by an article I want to read or a book I want to read or whatever. So uh, for me, it's really about trying to eliminate as many distractions as I can uh, when I need to be where my feet are type of thing. So uh, it's been hard for me. I, I, it's interesting that I'll just give you a quick story is we had this coaches convention and normally we're on site and we're in Vegas or we're in New Jersey or wherever we may be. 
and it's like a great learning environment. And this year it's online and I'm bad at home. Even in my 14 years as a teacher, I never would bring work home because I would get distracted and I wouldn't work. So I would stay out like grading time as a teacher, right? I'd stay at school until 10 o'clock at night to get my grades done because I knew I couldn't do it at home. So like I've been aware of myself that I'm not a good, I don't deal with distractions well. And so for, even for this convention, I like called Coach Tar, who's with her mom in Wenatchee. And I'm like, what do you think about meeting at UW for this convention for three days? Like we just drive to work and sit in front of the computer and, you know, do the convention online together to, for me. And, and it didn't work out, but it's been hard for me to like come into my office and sit in front of the computer and get my notebook out and take my notes because that's not how my brain works. So I'm probably not a, uh, I, I probably don't have a great routine in that. And that's probably something Colin, I, I professionally, I probably need to get better at, but I would say I'm probably not a journal of mindfulness, but a journal of thoughts. So I have like, I'm a year guy. So I have a book that is this whole year and I can go back and I date it and I can go back and look and, and that's probably how I do it. That's really cool. Well, I got to say the, the Husky softball team is my favorite softball team. The Cougs, well, don't, the Cougs don't have a softball team. No. no? And, and uh, Jen uh, Cohen is a dear friend, longtime friend. So, you know, I'm really excited for what you guys are building. You've created a great program, a great legacy. You're doing amazing things. I love that you are focusing on, you know, person first over player. You're reaching out to them, checking on them. So I wish I could have played for you. Yeah, you would have been okay. You had some pretty good coaches yourself. I did. I did have a lot of great coaches. Coach uh, Heward, uh, Coach Weiss there at PL, Coach Price, one of my favorite human beings of all time at Washington State. But um, to to just just share gratitude, just extend so much gratitude for your time, your energy, for your heart uh, to serve, uh, to love on these kids, to to teach them, show them the way. But um, I'm excited for it. I'm going to cheer for you guys. And I I know this is a good game sometime. Let's go. Let's go. Every podcast with this money, you're going to help me out on this one. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. Had to-